This is Matthew, author, artist, and commentator. I run luminousbeings.blog, where you can find all my articles, stories, drawings, and podcasts. It's time to talk about Commentator Kuga. So first off, uh, the head writer of it is uh, Narhisu Arakawa, and it aired from uh, January 30th, 2000 to January 21st, 2001. Uh, the head director was Hidenori Ishida, and uh, he had a, a staff of other directors who would work under him as well. Uh, same thing with Arakawa on the writing. Uh, and then the producers, there was a few of them. From TV Asahi, it's uh, Yumi Shimizu. From Toei, it was Takayuki Suzuki. And uh, oh, I think this is actually supposed to be Bandai because I got Shigenari Takatera. Um, I'll have to double check that. So I just double-checked the wiki, and, uh, yeah, there's no Bandai person included on there just yet. And it actually, uh, the fandom commentator uh, wiki uh, says it's just as Toei as the producer. So uh, I, don't, I don't know what the deal is there, but it's something I'll look into later for the other writers. The opening theme is called Commentator Kuga, um, and it's pretty awesome. The lyrics are by uh, Shoko Fujibayashi, the com- uh, composition was done by Toshihiko uh, Sasashi, and the artist was uh, Masayuki Tanaka. And um, interestingly, the only thing that changes for the ED is the uh, artist, which is uh, who is uh, Jin uh, Hashimoto, but uh, Toshiki or Sasashi and Fujib- Fujibayashi uh, did composition and lyrics again for Into the Blue Sky, which is the ending theme. And... Uh, I was thinking about this. It's interesting that the lyrics were done by the same person. I wonder um, if that gave them a greater insight into the show overall, or um, like if the ED was really plugged into uh, like the meaning of the show. Because I'm not sure, certain. It feels like the, well, the the opening, yeah, but the ED also feels like it's very true to what I observed in these episodes. So I don't know. I don't know how to answer that because I'm not going to watch the rest of Kuga just yet. So I love Kamen Rider Black. I erroneously thought that the Kamen Rider black suit actor uh, was also the Kuga suit actor. That's not true. The suit actor for Kuga is uh, Kenji uh, Tominaga. He did Kuga, Duke from Gaim, Bujin Gaim, obviously from Gaim, and 15 from Kamen Rider Tyson. So I don't know where I got that information, but uh, it was wrong. Okay, that's going to do it for all the meta information about the show. I'm going to go ahead and move into talking about the... uh, the actual show on the three criteria. So here we go. The premise of Kamen Rider Kuga is that an ancient evil reawakens. Godayusuke becomes Kamen Rider Kuga and resolves to stop them. To me, it's a really solid hook. Um, I think they sold it well because they show the toll. Or well, let me back up. You, you get to see the past. Uh, you know, shadowed, uh, grainy visions of Kuga fighting. Uh, all these monsters, and then there's one with long hair, and um, that one falls down, and then you end up seeing that one get up later, and it like reawakens by striking with lightning to the ground, and all these hands come up, and uh, it's really creepy and good, a uh, creepy and wonderful, as Chris Carter used to say, <laughs> um, or said one time on a video I watched a bunch. Sorry, it's X Files stuff, um, but uh, yeah, the uh, the premise is good. I mean, you, apparently there were problems with these 
creatures before, these monsters before, and there was a guy uh, who we see in like a, well, he's the one buried in that sarcophagus who had become Kuga before, and he had that belt, and that turned him into Kuga, uh, this warrior who was able to defeat these guys, it looks like, but not 100%. They're, be- you know, they're back now, and uh, Godai Yusuke feels called by the belt, um, and he takes it, and uh, then he kind of has to struggle with being stuck with it a little bit and uh of course you know we don't get into that you know much in these two episodes but they begin to show um that you know this isn't something that's going to be easy for him and it's something he's reluctant to do and um i like that because uh it kind of it reflects his morals and his ethics and um you know ultimately uh he does the right thing which is to fight and to destroy these uh monsters and uh yeah, I, it, it's neat. Um, I like how realistic the, the setting is, that the police uh, can't do anything about it, but that each Joe wants to do something about it, and he tries because he's a detective and he's all about protecting people. And uh, he does it in a really, um, like he, he like he's bold, and it just, anyway, that, that stuff's all cool. And I like that uh, Sawatori, or Sakurako, I don't know what I'm going to call her, um, that, you know, there's the science involved there where she's, um, like, doing the linguistics to figure out exactly what the belt says and what these runes say at this dig site and that there's a whole archaeological team, but they all die. And she's like the last left of it. Um, it makes sense why these three would work together. And I remember, cause I watched up to episode 10 before, um, that they do continue to work together and like kind of figure out the mystery of, uh, what's going on. And, uh, it's all a very good hook. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about the premise. So, very solid. I like it a lot. I just listened back and I had some audio issues. I think they should be solved by now. So sorry about that. But here we go. Talking about the cast. So uh, I like the cast. Uh, so to me, at least in these first two episodes, it's Ichigo or Ichijo. Ichijo, I think. Um, yeah. Ichijo, who's the detective there. And then we've got, uh, oh, Sawatari. Sakurako. I feel so weird about her name. I don't know which one to call her at any given time. And then we've got Godai Yusuke. And uh, I like the trio of them. We got like that interaction uh, between them in, I think it was the first episode where they meet together and um, Godai's telling him, oh, this is the translator I was telling you about and whatever. And uh, then, uh, you know, they meet, they go to the police station and he shows them the video from the uh, the site of the... Uh, uh, I guess I'll just call it the excavation site. And, um, you know, that's a bad situation for them. It's disturbing uh, to Sakurako. And, uh, you know, obviously she's not happy about it because all, you know, a bunch of her friends and co-workers are dead now. Um, but uh, focusing more on, on the interaction between the three of them, it felt very natural. Uh, it, they didn't feel awkward around each other. I think everybody kind of has their own... Um, Gosh, like they're all operating on their own level, which is a, a weird way to say that. Like, none of them feels like they're above or below any of the others. And they, I feel like they all regard each other as equals, and um, which is good. It's a normal, polite, uh, reasonable thing to do. Um, but like, they're equals, and they all serve different functions, and they know that, but not in a like a a fake way because this is a show where you know each person does a thing. It's just like they're real people and they all have different interests and abilities and um, like that reflects in their interactions with each other 
you know, like, I don't know, a way of, of reciprocity or mutual respect. I don't know if uh, that makes much sense, but that's kind of the vibe I got off of them. And they, like, Sakuraku felt like he would go along with Ichijo well. And uh, Ichijo's, you know, bothered by Godai. But Godai feels like he has a, a sense of respect for him and, like, almost an, uh, an appreciation or an affection. Um, and, like, he would like to get to know him. And uh, anyway, it's just, and, and obviously uh, he and uh, Sakuraku have a, a relationship from before. Um, so that's interesting. I, I kind of want to talk about them as pairs, so I'm going to do that in a moment. There's this great scene where they're at a restaurant and Sakura gets a call on her cell phone as she's preparing to, uh, where is it? At the hotel, I can't remember. Anyway, she's preparing to, to do some stuff and she needs both her hands to write in this journal or, or planner that she has. And, uh, she gestures for Godai and he automatically knows what she wants and he holds holds her phone to her face for her so that she can do the writing that she needs to do. And uh, that and him climbing in the window wearing that mask to try to frighten her, but she's not frightened at all. She knows exactly what he's doing and that it's him and stuff. Uh, it, to me, indicates, it shows that there's this really uh, deep and like long-lasting relationship between them. Right? I don't know. If it, how, like, well, I, I think like they're legitimate friends. Like They are friends who have known each other for years and... Uh, they're kind of used to all of each other's uh, moves or antics or whatever, and I like that. So I touched on this a little bit earlier before when I was talking about Ichijo. Um, he is a cop. He wants to protect people. Um, he, you know, puts up, he puts Godai up against a wall at the hospital because he, he sees that Godai is taking things lightly. And it's an, it's interesting because it's such a shrewd observation on his part. Um, watching like, I don't know. It took Ichijo pointing it out in the show for me to really see that, yeah, Godai's just kind of, like, having a go at this, and he's not being super serious about it. And, like, I could see hesitation in him, I think, at the end of episode one. Um, and the, it, like, it comes back in, uh, oh, no, in the beginning of episode two, he's um, talking to uh, Salvatore, and he talks about how he's hesitating, which I'll, I'll put a pin in that and come back to it later. Uh, but Ichijo saw it. He was there. He was on the ground and like, I honestly think it's interesting that the character himself is able to pick it up because he's a detective and because he's there in the flesh and whatnot. And, you know, maybe it's something I couldn't have picked up or maybe I just wasn't watching carefully enough. I don't know. I was enjoying the show. I was so engrossed watching that I wasn't um, necessarily picking up on, a, on, you know, subtext that might've been there. So, and I haven't gone back obviously, or you don't know that <laughs> I haven't gone back to check, but uh, it felt like a really astute observation on his part, and I was happy uh, that he made that and that he pushes back against Godai, um, and it's cool because it ends up turning into something, uh, into kind of a big deal uh, for Godai going forward, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but uh, I like how he, how seriously he takes his job, but also uh, how... I don't know. It's interesting when he stops Godai at the, at the site, like, Oh, again, going to sharpness again, Godai uh, runs in, he tries to pull Michael West and he's like, oh, I'm supposed to be here. Uh, just sorry. I'm late. And he tries to run into the, the ruins, but Godai doesn't let him. And, um, he like trips him up and then he catches him and Godai's like, man, officer, you're good. And, uh, he is good. Um, <laughs> he's really good at what he does. And, uh, it's impressive that you have like such a powerful character, um, in like a support role and I'd be interested to see uh, what he does throughout the rest of the show. But I really uh, liked how he was able to figure out, um, you know, this bat monster 
like where it was going to be at the church. And you know, he followed up on that lead and he was right. And um, Godai actually, I think, uh, stuck around and followed him to figure out where to go. Um, so that was pretty cool. I, I like the idea of a protagonist who isn't omnipotent and uh, doesn't always know the right thing to do, but has good ideas and uh, can figure out who the best people are to follow the lead of and, and look into or, you know, take the... You know what I'm trying to say. Um, and Ichijo is that kind of guy. So that, that's pretty cool. So pulling back from the uh, characters real quick, and I am going to talk about Godai, but I'm going to talk about Shirakawa first. Um, I wonder how old he was when he wrote this, when he wrote Kuga, what he'd written before, and like, does the guy have kids or not? Because... Or maybe it's just because he was writing for children's television, he knew to approach things differently. Because I was really impressed by how Godai has written in his opening scene where he's with that kid at the airport. And, um, man, I don't know. I'm just really impressed by, like, the, I don't know. I, I live in the United States. Uh, we're into authoritarian-style parenting here, and everybody wants to be an authoritarian and really strict about stuff. Either that or they're completely... Um, like, if they care, they're authoritarians. If they don't care, who knows what kind of attitude they have towards raising their children. But um, I wanted to be the best parent I could be. So my wife and I have done a lot of reading and a lot of research and a lot of thinking about how we're going to do things. And basically, we're at the point where, uh, or what we arrived at is we want to parent with, like, the utmost empathy we can have. And um, I don't know how old Godai is supposed to be here. He's traveled the world. He doesn't have kids uh, that he knows of. Sorry, I don't know why I did that. That's stupid. I'm not going to cut it. It's just bad. Anyway, um, and uh, like I'm for, I'm all into honor culture and like chastity and uh, taking care of your responsibilities and things like that. So I don't know why I'd make that joke, but whatever. Um, maybe I'm just trying to be an edgy boy, uh, which I'm not. Anyway, I I will stop and I will focus on the show now. Um, Godai has this great sense of empathy and uh, compassion. And it's interesting because he, he uh, like, he's playing with the kid. Um, he's doing, uh, well, at first he's talking to him and telling him like, man, cool guys don't cry. Like they smile even when things are tough. And I don't think that's a toxic, uh, attitude. I think that's a healthy attitude depending on how you do it. And I think he does it right because, um, and I'm just impressed that Shirakawa was able to write this because I'm sure he was a young man when he did. And I want to know where he got this wisdom and life experience to know how to write a character like this with so much empathy towards a child. Anyway, uh, without having... Uh, parented himself or whatever, which I'm assuming he didn't, but just because of the youth, but I, I could be wrong. Or maybe he grew up with a bunch of siblings. Who, who knows what his family background is, but I'm really impressed by, by Godai, uh, and the way he's written because of, uh, because of this <laughs> anyway. Um, but he's, he's trying to like encourage him, like, like, man, you could be like this basically, which, so he's like giving him an aspirational goal and then the kid's still crying. And then he kind of like sighs and takes a step toward him. And is like, you know what? I understand how terrible it could be to lose your mom and dad. Like, I understand why you're crying, man. It, it, it's okay. It's okay. And then he transforms the situation. So he like tries to be aspirational and like set like, oh, this is what you should be doing kind of, but in a, a very compassionate and loving and kind way. And then he empathizes with the kid once he sees that that's not working. And he's like just connecting with him as a person. And then um, because he's a person, because he's a kid and because Godai has a cheerful, youthful spirit to him, uh, he decides to juggle. I don't know why he's got these three balls in his pocket, but he does. And he starts juggling and it, uh, brightens the kid up and changes the mood. And, uh, it's really great because, um, you have this whole range of things and Godai, 
uh, has the wherewithal to try these different approaches. And all of them are good approaches. Um, it's just kind of uh, like each child is different. Each person is different. And you have to use different tactics. Uh, and that sounds cold, but it's not. It, it's the truth. Certain things work with like if you want to give the most comfort and uh, assurance to a child or a person, you can approach them several different ways. And when you're raising one kid for a few years and these things work on them, and then you have another kid with their own personality uh, and different things work on them, it's wrong. I don't know if it's immoral, but I was about to say it's immoral. It's wrong to try to treat them the exact same way and expect the exact same results. You have to pay attention to who the person is and tailor your interactions towards them, uh, towards what's going to be most effective to help them and to help you. Okay, I think I've uh, I've talked about the characters enough, so I'm going to go ahead and move on and talk about the design of both the monsters and Kuga himself. So, here we go. So, I'll talk about the spider monster first. Uh, well, I'll just talk about them generally, but using the spiders. So, these creatures, these monsters, are meant to look like tribal people. Uh... They're not supposed to be in armor suits. They're supposed to be... These are like their naked bodies. So you can... Well, anyway. You can see their, like, their joints, their skin, their toes, their individual fingers. Um, the spider guy has, like, a mohawk. Um, he's got the spider legs coming out of his head and stuff. And, like, the bands and stuff for him are, are wrapped cloth. And he's wearing jewelry, like, this big necklace, this big ornate necklace. And I wonder if that spider... The spider legs on his head... Is that a headdress? Because he's got spider eyes. So he's, like, a monster man or, like, a creature man. Um... So, anyway, and, like, Ichijo talks about the way his mouth works, because he's got a mouth kind of like a spider's mouth that shoots webs out of it. Um, and then, like, you've got the bat creature. His mouth opens and closes like a human's, and it's terrible and ghastly, and you can see his eyes, and he's got his big ears. And uh, on him, too, they uh, zoom in on his body, and you can see... Um, well, I'll talk about his wings first. You can see like his wings run from like his wrists to his, like maybe to like his knee. Uh, they stretch out there. Uh, I mean, a bat is a chiroter. It means wing hand. Um, he doesn't have wing hands, but like, you know, it stretches. That's, that's pretty good. It's realistic sort of. Um, and then you've got shots of uh, like, he's getting shot by bullets and you can see this, the bullets like popping off of his skin or, or whatever with, with the CG effects. Uh, but like there's chest hair on him. So like, this, like, these guys are running around half naked uh, with, like, loincloths and jewelry and stuff on, and it's very interesting, and uh, I, it's, it's neat, and they look creepy. Um, looking at the bat guy's mouth opening, it reminded me of Digital Devil Saga, which is a Shin Megami Tensei game, uh, or spinoff game, and uh, they're, in there, there are these creatures that are tribal, and they eat each other and stuff, and uh, you get turned into these monsters, and uh, it kind of reminds me of, of these guys, so... Anyway, uh, I like that. I, I think it's very uh, compelling. It's scary, uh, creepy, uh, and they seem like really formidable foes, especially because Kuga has so much t trouble with them. Talking about these monsters brought to my attention the fact that Kuga uh, is similarly decked out. He's got ornamental, like he's got gold banding on him and uh, like some jewels. His belt has a big jewel in it. Uh, his forehead has a jewel on it and he's got these horns um, it's cool. His white form, uh, which I think is called growth form. Uh, I like how that's tied. Like there's a reason for that. It's cause he's unsure of himself and he's not fully committed to fighting. Therefore he's not like 
bequeathed with the full power of Kuga or the potential for the full power of Kuga. But um, anyway, it's interesting. It's it's a black undersuit. Um, and then his body's covered over with armor and it's like jeweled. And I think that's really interesting. Anyway, and then I, I love the drama of him transforming into the red Kuga um, in the burning church and how that difference in the suit uh, signifies something really meaningful. And they call attention to it in the show, but then you can just see it visually. It's visual storytelling. Um, his horns are a lot longer. I think the jewel's a little more prominent on his forehead. Um, and obviously the the white instead of the red. Uh, but it's cool because, uh, you know, later on you see more of the suit. And he does he has bands on his uh, ankles, kind of like Spider. And he's got these, like, jeweled golden red kneecaps on his knees. Um, I don't know if any of them have it, but then he's got the wristbands too, and then like something on his shoulder. And obviously, the belt's very decorative, so it's a cool design, and I like how it mirrors these monsters um, that you know ancient Kuga or whatever is sealed away. So my overall thoughts on uh, the first two episodes of Kuga: uh, it looks like a really good show. Um, I like how grounded it is. Uh, it feels like X Files or Law and Order mixed with Common Rider, like. Uh, I made a joke, I, I don't know where I wrote this earlier, but I made a joke, maybe in my, my notes for myself, that this feels like X-Files Law & Order had a baby and it was sent to Japan to be raised by Shin Kamen Rider, uh, or Kamen Rider Shin. And uh, I know, like, it's gritty, it feels very much like a horror movie, uh, the directing is excellent, it, they know how to build tension, uh, it feels like a very adult drama, it feels very different from modern Kamen Rider. Um, like Zio, for instance, or even Ghost or Kiva, which are some of my favorites. But uh, I do like it overall. Uh, I mean, not overall. I do like it a lot, and there's nothing wrong with those other ones necessarily. I'm just saying it has a very different vibe, um, and I like it. I like how creepy the monsters are. Again, I like the horror element of it, um, kind of like Common Rider Black. Interesting, kind of like Common Rider Black. There's like a lot of organ music, at least in the first uh, bit of it. And it's very dramatic and very spooky and ethereal, and I like that. Um, Godai seems really great. I talked about, in talking about his character and the other characters too, um, I think I covered enough ground there. But like overall, this looks like a really awesome show. And um, when this project is over and I do other things, um, I'll be happy to, to look at the stuff at Common Rider. I don't know if I want to do like a week by week, I'll like cover each single episode. Each and every episode, especially uh, if, not if it's going to be 20 minutes like this or more, um, uh, just because, you know, I get I got to write and do other things for myself. But uh, maybe I'll just enjoy watching them and, and you know, have that be part of my life. Um, but yeah, Kuga looks like it'll be a great ride. Um, I, something I didn't mention earlier. They give you a little preview of what all his other forms are going to be. Um, I mean, I know Kuga has other forms. I'm not. 100% pretending I haven't seen Common Rider before. Um, I'm just trying to approach each thing and, and judge it on its own merits and what the merits are of the first two episodes. But it is pretty cool that they give you a little flash, both in the opening and in the uh, body of the episode itself, that um, he has other forms and you get to see them in the past. Um, I think it's really cool. I, I like this idea of the visions and I wonder like what all that means and, and what it'll be going forward. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so for now I'm, I'm pretty much done with Kuga. Uh, I really liked this. Um, it was so enjoyable. I'm just going to keep belaboring the point that I, I enjoyed it, so I'm going to go ahead and stop now. Anyway, I'll just close with a positive thing. Uh, I think the message I got from Kuga this episode, uh, or in these two episodes, is that, uh, you know, despite the fact that life is hard and things are difficult, um, if you put a smile on and try to approach it with good faith that things will be okay, um, you can make things better for yourself and others. Thank you for your time and attention. I'd love to do more of this. Like, share, and subscribe to cheer me on. 
or give me feedback to make me stronger and smarter. Visit luminousbeings.blog for more. I link everything I do there, so if you want to comment, that's the place where I'll definitely see it.